from the beginning of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, for he forgives all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning to everyone. Uh, it's good to see you all and to be here. Um, we had a great, uh, great celebration uh, yesterday. Even one here in the church. There was a wedding yesterday afternoon. But I'm talking about the uh, consecration of our new bishop, uh, Kerry Schofield Broadbent, that happened down there in uh, Washington, D.C. at the National Cathedral. As they say, a, a, a great celebration and um, a, a sense of, uh, of new beginnings, right? Of, of a new energy force, if you will, coming in, into the Diocese of Maryland and uh, something that we can rejoice in. Uh, she's a, a wonderful soul and I'm looking forward to being with her and just being part of, of the ministry of, that, that she's going to bring to the church. Uh, we were well represented there. Uh, Caleb was there and Alexander was also there. Uh, and uh, Howard and Mary were there. Uh, Frances Burke, she here? Uh, she was singing in the choir. I was there. So it was, uh, we were represented. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Again, the idea of, of a new beginning that is happening with, uh, within the diocese. Also, we think of new beginnings. Um, we are starting our, our program year. And so we have new beginnings in what our, our adult forum is going to be and our thinking about ministry. This year, you might have heard the, uh, the, the theme is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It comes from Isaiah and Jesus' uh, sermon that he gives. But it's also about the Spirit of the Lord being upon me to do something. Not just to bless me, but to make me a blessing to the world. And how does that live out? Either in our lives, in our ministries, in our study. Today we're launching it with a wonderful presentation by the ministry team from Guatemala and the ministry team that is with the Stanton Center. And some of you might say, you know what, I, I, I know all about the Stanton Center, I know all about Guatemala, I've heard about that for a combined 50 years worth of ministry at least from those two ministries. So you might say, you know, I don't need to go down there. But this is the ministry that is, goes to the heart and witness of our church. So I invite you to come, even if you've heard about it, and if you have not heard all about what's going on there, if you are new to the church and to the ministry, this will be a good chance for you to see and hear from the people who are involved in that ministry what it's all about. It may even touch your heart. You might say, you know what? That's something that I can be a part of. Again, this is all part of the new beginning, the new energy um, that is coming with Bishop Carey, with the wedding yesterday, the adult form, and always Christ and God creating and recreating in his church and in his people the ministry that he needs in this world. We have our scriptures today, which come to us under the idea of forgiveness brings liberation. Okay? Forgiveness brings liberation, looking at relationships. And two of the, I guess, most difficult parts in a relationship could be um, the sins that we commit, confessing those sins, and then the forgiveness that we provide to the one who has wronged us. So forgiveness brings liberation, but it's also 
empowered by confession. This also gives us an opportunity to contrast our ways, ways of you know, human folk, with the ways of God as it is expressed in these stories. As uh, the psalmist tells us, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and of great kindness. Our gospel story is set in motion by Peter asking, well, how many times should I forgive? And Peter, um, feeling magnanimous, feeling like he's on top of the world, says, how about this? Seven times. A good holy number, right? If you're familiar with the scriptures, seven days in creation, seven days for completion. And so Peter is, is of, a, of a good place to say, you know, I think seven times that's going to be enough. Jesus says, all right, let me get this straight here. Not seven times. Seventy-seven times. Seven times, seventy-seven. More times than you can count. Basically, stop counting and be a person of forgiveness. Easier said than done, right? The contrast of God's economy with our own human experiences. I don't know about you all, but if someone wrongs me, the same person does the same wrong thing seven times, about the eighth time, I might say, you know what? We're gonna have to get this straight, okay? I forgave you seven times. I don't know if I'm gonna go for number eight. That's how we go. That is part of the challenge that is being brought up here, being brought to illustrate to us not only of the challenge, but how necessary it is to bring about, as I say, healing, to bring about restoration. This is what truth and reconciliation is all about. Not just stating the facts, but how do we heal? How do we bring the broken relationship back together? And does it require this forgiveness that continues on and on and on and on? Jesus says, yes, it does continue on and on and on. The Lord forgives your sins. Can you forgive the sins done to you? Sometimes we can. As I say, sometimes it gets like, you know, you can say, child, <laughs> you've gotten on my last nerve with this. Don't do it again, please, for the sake of all of us. And so there's that peril, right? the unforgiving servant that brings again that contrast. We have the king who can be seen as God and the extravagant mercy that is offered. The servant owes, let's say it's $50 million, something that extreme. That's what he owes. And he comes and the king feels, it says pity. What he feels is that, that twinge in the gut. You know, you have that twinge in the gut sometimes when you see something and it just brings almost tears to your eyes. This is what the king feels. In a sense, we can say this is what God feels for us in our fallenness and the ways that we harm each other. This is what is felt. And this brings forth the response. I forgive. I forgive the enormity of what you have done. That I forgive for you. The extravagance of that. 
And yet, what does he do? The, the now forgiving servant immediately goes out and chokes someone who owes him eh, 20 bucks. Right? $50 million, 20 bucks. This is trying to get us to understand the contrast, the extravagance of God's mercy, and what is asked for and required of us. Not to be so small and tiny of heart, littleness of soul, but to somehow see the extravagance of God and to live into that as part of our own lives. But the story also has um, a wonderful, if you will, um, Greek chorus in it. There's the servants and their interactions, the king and his interaction. But if you know, if you go through that, that story, the passage there, it says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they brought the issue to the king. They were greatly distressed. And that tells us, brothers and sisters, that there is a role. When you see injustice happening, when you see the unrighteous deed being done, you have an obligation to say something, to do something, to be, in a sense, a witness, to bring it forward and say, this will not stand. This shall not stand. Not only is there forgiveness by the king, but there's also the need for accountability. There's forgiveness in the kingdom, and there's accountability in the kingdom. In a sense, this is what we're doing in Guatemala. This will not stand. These people having no latrines or an education. We're going to do something about this. This is what is happening over on Clay Street, the Stanton Center. This will not stand of these children not having the support, the education, the compassion that they need. We're going to say something about this. We're going to do something. That Greek chorus that speaks out against the wrongs that we see happening. That's another essential part of that story of the unforgiving servant and the king and what is forgiveness and the challenge of forgiveness. And then we have the other story and that is the story of, of Joseph and his brothers. You all know that story, right? You know the whole arc of that story, right? That is a great story. That is one of the great, great stories of, of, uh, of the Bible and, and how that family, a family of dysfunction. Now, this goes back to Abraham. This goes back to Isaac. This goes back to Jacob. So there's been plenty of lying and, 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 two, and, and double dealing going on in this family. And now we come to its consummation, where again, we can see for ourselves, brothers and sisters, this idea of the contrast of forgiveness, the need for confession, the challenge and difficulty that that brings forth. That's here in this story. The father has died. The brothers know what they have done, right? They sold Joseph into slavery. Told a lie that he was dead. Now he's alive. And they come to him with their, their plea. And I ask you, brothers and sisters, to sort of put yourselves in this story. A time when maybe you have done something wrong to someone. 
and how difficult it is to come forward to that person and ask for forgiveness. There's that uh, great Elton John song where he says, it's sad, so sad that sorry seems to be the hardest word. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. And so the brothers come in fear and in trembling, but they throw down their own trump card, if you will. Your father gave this instruction, forgive your brothers. Now we don't know if this is true or not, if they just made this up because they're trying to get through to Joseph and this, they think this is a patriarchal society. So if I say your father said, that's gonna get a reaction. Your father, not our father, but your father said, forgive your brothers. You think of Joseph and what he has been through, sold into slavery, became a court official. The court official's wife wanted to get him to sleep with her. He said no. She had him thrown in prison. Of course, now he's the big man. He could have his brothers killed just like that or thrown in the salt mines. What does he do? What would you do? Here they come. They have brought you nothing but misery. Now they're asking for forgiveness. How hard can it be to say, I forgive you. I will extend mercy to you as my God has extended mercy to me. You can hear the beatitude in that. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. This was your father's wish. True or not, we do not know. But we do know that they are in a tough place because oftentimes the sin, to admit the sin, means to admit we are less than what we hoped we would be. Or maybe we have lived down to what we are. And the confession is part of that. And then the forgiveness could call us to imagine that we are more than we are, that we are stronger than we are. And here we see a time for the, the call-out that we had this morning. Grant that thy Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Thy Holy Spirit, because without thee, we are not able to not only to please thee, we are not able to live as you would want us to live. Yes, God is merciful. And in our story, Joseph is merciful. And in the gospel, Jesus says that forgiveness must come from the heart, that it must be sincere. In this story, in our own interactions of forgiveness and confession, what can be more harmful, in a sense, to our souls than a flippant or dismissive forgiveness? You've brought out the courage to seek forgiveness. 
to confess your sins and someone, the person says, ah, yeah, I forgive you. But you know that they don't really forgive you. That they're holding on to that. And every time you encounter them, it's still there in the background. The contrast of God's mercy and forgiveness. He forgives our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he put them from us. From the heart we are called to bring about this forgiveness that brings not only healing, but restoration and reconciliation and liberation. The liberation that frees us to be the children of God. And again, a passage would come from Isaiah. Your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. But by my son, I am calling you into a place where perhaps our ways can mesh and intertwine. And your thoughts can be my thoughts. And your ways can be my ways. We have a blessing that comes to us every Sunday, brothers and sisters, when we're here, we gather for worship, and we are, in a sense, instructed in how this goes about, this forgiveness and this confession. If we just examine the liturgy, we have confession, and then we have absolution and forgiveness. We come with our sins, and we are forgiven. And if that isn't enough, there is an offertory sentence that says, if you come to the altar and recognize there that you have something against your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, your friend, first be reconciled to that person. Then come and bring your gift to the altar. And if that isn't enough, there is the cup of Christ containing the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. And if that isn't enough, there is the Our Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In a sense, let that contrasting between God's favor and human life, let that dissolve and so that we forgive as we are forgiven. As I say, forgiveness brings liberation. Confession provides the key that opens the door so that both parties can enter into new life that is made possible, not by our own strength, but again, back to that collect that we had at the beginning, by God's empowering spirit that allows us to say, grant, O Lord, that thy Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts so that thy will and not my will, not our will, but thy will, may be done so that healing and reconciliation may come, not only for the liberation of our souls, but for the liberation of our world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.